three. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm Angelo DeCipio, joined as I am weekly by the smartest guy in the room. Again, I tell everyone I'm contractually obligated to say that um, <laughs> because I get sued and subpoenas if I don't. Dan, the man, Sebastian. Hey, Danny, how are you, brother? I'm good, man. This is, uh, are you still the smartest guy in the room? Any room I walk into, you know that. Really? I don't know. You're up. You got some tough competition that night. We got Stephen Plim with us. Uh, no he's a pretty smart cookie. <laughs> what is that, Stephen? <laughs> no competition at all, baby. Ah, oh, please. Are you kidding me? You're the wisdom of the ages. Before yeah, we bring Stephen man. in, like I really need to introduce Stephen Plim. He's been here. You know who he is. Um, before we do that. I want to tell everybody we got a couple of really amazing guests coming up. And I want to I want to get this out of the way now because I don't want to forget. I do not want to forget. All right, let me tell you what's coming up next week. We got a busy week, three shows next week. Wow. We have Eddie Mansfield, most one of the most controversial guys in the wrestling business. Uh, he is the guy. Steven, if you don't know who Eddie Mansfield is, he's the guy who blew the lid off of wrestling and exposed it for being, uh, we hate this word, it's the F word, fake. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And he'll be back with us for his second interview. I know Dan's looking forward to that, uh, as am I. Now, Wednesday night, we have a special Wednesday night show. Dan, this is a non-wrestling show with Rico Constantino, who is a wrestler, and uh, but Rico is coming on for a non-wrestling show. Uh, he's got some stuff he wants to get off his chest, and, you know, he's always got an open invite here. Uh, he's part, Rico's part of the family, so Rico will be with us on Wednesday. Then, the return of Jim Fife on Thursday night for part two of Inside Hollywood with Jim Fife. So we are looking forward to that. And, uh, and of course, I have been looking forward to Stephen Plim all day, quite frankly. Stephen, how are you, brother? I've, like I've always told you, I feel like a million dollars in change, especially the change, okay, Angelo? <laughs> what can I tell you? You know, Stephen calls me and he goes, Hi, this is the IRS. I'm here to help. <laughs> You know, you'd be the only one, bro. Angela, do you remember why I always told you that? I had an old attorney back in the uh, 70s and 80s. That was his opening line to me, so I plagiarized. I steal it. Hi, from the IRS, here to help you, baby. I'll tell you what, Dan will tell you, because he does it every week. If you want to steal, steal from the best. Yeah, and I admit I steal. Right, Daniel? Hey, you know, everybody See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the outside world, stealing from somebody else might be considered plagiarism. In wrestling, it is called creative control. Oh, wow. (laughs) Hey, do you know something? Exercising creative control, that's all. You you remind me of something when you say that, Angelo. Yes, sir. I met met one of my heroes one time, and I mean a hero, Milton Berle, Mr. TV. I've actually met him. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. He said, I stole everything. What the hell? Everybody steals mine. We just go on and on. Who cares? He made a career out of it. Are you kidding me? And made a fortune. 
made of fortune. I met Milton Berle, Stephen. Daniel, you'll find this interesting. I met Milton Berle at the Valley Forge Music Fair uh, in Pennsylvania. North, Richard outside Norristown, Pennsylvania. And he was in full regalia. Ah. Eye makeup, wig, heels, the dress, the whole bit. People don't know this. Stephen, you know this to be true. Oh, hell yeah. Milton Berle was a notorious cross-dresser. He loved to dress in women's clothing. Loved it. Keep in mind, he's in his 80s at the time. Yep. Because I think he lived to be probably 90-something. I mean, I know he was up there when he passed. But uh, he this man, just, but as, as quirky as he was, you, the guy had something. And we're going to talk about that tonight, Stephen. We're going to talk that, about Angelo, that, that's back in the 1950s, for Christ's sake. Yes, exactly. You know what exactly. I'm saying? And I want Dan and I to get into tonight what we call the it factor. It happens in wrestling. It happens in show business. We're going to talk about the it factor. So before I take up any more time speaking, because I know it's not like me to hog a conversation, Daniel, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give it to Daniel tonight. Danny, it's all yours. Okay, well, you know, <clears throat> Uh, you mentioned he uh, actually brought up a really good point, Stephen. You you how you you said that was the 1950s and how you know certain. I mean, obviously the implication being that that the prudeness of society was significant, more significant back then than today, and he was still able to get away with that. We we kind of touched on something previously to go back to the the reason you originally came to the show. Some of the the stories you shared in your book about Tiny Tim were. I mean, obviously, it's not something he just developed later in life. He would have been that way for for years. I'm curious if you have any insight as to how he, for lack of a better word, got away or if you understand what I'm trying to ask, how he got away with some of that behavior back in, in black and white television days when when such mannerisms would have been would have shunned you immediately. You mean Milton Burrow? Well, no, we were talking about Milton Burrow, which you yeah, said tiny, reminded tiny me of a question Tim, I wanted to ask you about Tiny Tim. Yeah, Tiny Tim. And no, I think what Dan is getting at, Stephen, is how did Tiny get away with some of his quirky behavior? Did they just excuse it because he was, you know, quote unquote, Tiny Tim? Or was he or or were people just quite frankly afraid to say anything? Danny, no, okay. And okay. I don't I, want I, put words yeah. in your mouth. But I'm yeah, not no, that's, that's exactly it. I get where okay. you guys are going. He didn't know he was avant-garde. He didn't know he was weird. He was just Tiny Tim. He was okay. avant-garde before that was a word. And I think that's where Dan wants to go with that. Good, Dan. Yeah, you know, I was curious if you have any insight of how that changed or how different that was. I mean, back, you know, he's he's doing television in the, in the 70s, and his quirks, his behavior is a little different than maybe 10, 15 years later. Uh, you know, how... If you have any insight as to how he, how that was back then, I mean, all I can say is this. Well, I can I could say a lot, but I'm trying to within time frames, right? George Schlatter, uh, executive director and creator of Rowan and Martin's Laugh In, right? Right. I had the privilege, you know, when I did my uh, national book launch, right? As everybody does when they write a book, right? Sure. I was at the Improv in Hollywood, packed house. I shared the stage with George Schlatter and most of the cast from Laugh-In. And George said it best. 
And he wrote the forward to my book, by the way. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, George Slaughter, right? He loved Tiny Tim. And he gave such a dynamic speak from stage. We're all up there, right? He said, you know, folks, uh, people in Europe celebrate, celebrate their eccentrics. And we in America make fun of them. And it takes a while for that to catch up. Tani didn't know he was like an eccentric. Tani was not putting on an act. He was simply Tiny Tim, man. And, yeah. and after you knew him, and Schlatter gave, oh my God, what a speech he gave on it. Of, yeah. and, 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 and he gave several examples. Because if you just see the guy in snippets of things, if you weren't at that time, right, you go, right. What the hell is this? And I thought the same way myself when I watched it. You know, I was 19 years old, right? Well, it's interesting, Stephen, that, you know, talking about Tiny Tim in, in that regard, because he was an eccentric. And, and you point out something that's critical, extremely critical. He wasn't putting on airs. That was him. Yes. He was just different. And there are people, you know, and we, we see it in the wrestling business as well. Uh, one that comes to mind, Daniel, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Is a guy that we called the ultimate warrior. He was yeah. just, am I right? He was no, just you're that absolutely right. kind. Yeah. Just that kind of guy. Um, just different. Just, there are some people that are just different, but tiny. Uh, oh, by the way, speaking of tiny and I'll digress for just a second. I spoke to Vince Russo last night. Well, where's my call? He Vince, <laughs> I talked to Vince last night and he said, Angelo, I'm so sorry. Please tell Mr. He calls you Mr. Plume. I love it. <laughs> tell Thank Mr. You. Plume. I, tell him I've been called worse. Yeah. I said, he goes, tell Mr. Plume that I will call him. I promise uh, I will call him. I haven't read the book yet. I will read the book. Um, but because he, I sent him the copy of the book. But and, and he, by the way, and I found this out by watching his show the other night. He's actually got a ukulele. He's got a tiny Tim ukulele. Really? In his office. Did it belong to Tiny or? No, it's just he bought a ukulele because okay. he's a Tiny fan. Oh, God, that's wild. Okay. You don't understand that he's, he loves Tiny Tim, this guy. I could tell that night, the first interview that I did with you folks. Yeah, I could tell his enthusiasm. I mean, it just shined through, man. And I really dug that guy. Yeah. Uh, but Tiny was, uh, he was one of those people, and we talked about this before, some people have the it factor. And you, you can't always quantify what the it factor is. Um, you know. Uh, That's like, why it's called so, the it factor. There's no adjective or adverb. It's just the it thing. Yeah. If you don't get that, you don't get anything. And you're exactly right, Angelo. That's what he had at his time. The it factor for Tiny Tim. And yeah, and there's just there's something you either have something you've either got that that intangible quality or you don't. Right. Um. You know, and I I don't know how you market it. it in tiny's case it must have been extremely difficult or in some cases steven it might have been super easy who knows but uh, what how do you market a guy like tiny tim or a guy like uh uh 
for example, oh God, who was the other one? Uh, and here you go. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a comedian that was a visual comedian named Gallagher. Yes. His claim mm-hmm. the fame was smashing watermelons. Right. And yeah, he I would be sledgematic. Yeah, exactly, Dan, the sledgematic. Mm-hmm. And people in the front row of his shows would be covered in plastic. You know, Dan knows what I'm talking. Go oh, ahead, yeah. Dan. Pursue that, Daniel. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of my favorites growing up. Um, you know, it, it was it's funny to look back on because he's often used in in examples when they talk about you know the the eccentricities of the '80s. Like he had an act that literally, you know, lightning in a bottle. You, you, if he had come five years earlier, it would have been too 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 outlandish for the '70s. Yeah. Five years, five ten years later, it would have been too lame for the '90s. He hit that perfect stride. And yeah. it, it, that's that's a good point because you, you mentioned you guys were talking about the it factor and you know how how tiny had it with the the fact that there was just little things he could do better than anybody that mm-hmm. you you know he you, you laughing Stephen you, you told that story the first time you were here about about his his appearance on laughing you know if if he had been I don't know five years earlier I don't think he would have been accepted five years later maybe it would have been yeah. too much. You know, know, you know the cliche, guys, timing is everything, but yeah. sometimes you don't know what, it's a cliche, but I guess cliches are because they're true. Right. Who knew? But Tiny Tim, as Angelo said, had that it factor thing for that time, right there, then, right there, then, and it worked. And yeah. you either hated him or loved him, but everybody tuned in because he was such a novelty. Nobody had ever seen a guy like Let me say something. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they hated Tiny. I've heard people laugh at him. I've heard people uh, talk affectionately, like he just looks like a big, lovable guy you want to hug. You know, somebody that you just... The biggest thing was... a guy that you wanted to feel sorry for. You wanted to take care of him. He seemed, correct me, Dan, but Tiny seemed helpless in some regards. That empathy yeah. thing. He he definitely had that that persona uh, that, yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of wording it. You watched him on stage, and it almost had that, child prodigy persona like he was right. he, he was good but you yeah. could definitely tell that 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 mental i i don't want to sound that sound cruel but that that kind of mental uh, uh maybe maybe not not together or if that makes sense he, he he seemed like he would need help to get on you know to to do do what he was doing yeah when it turns out all he needed was a manager to buy him a blow-up doll and who knew <laughs> well yeah that seemed to work. <laughs> yeah, it worked that night for him, and then he cut it up and uh, threw it out the window. You. But, you know. Well, you know, there were several performers back in, in the, you know, the 70s and 80s. There was another guy who, again, like Dan said, you know, Stephen, you know, uh, as in everything, timing is empirical. Timing is everything, especially in show business. Had Tiny been, like Dan said, five years would have made or break him. There was another guy back in the day named Emo Phillips. Yeah. That you don't hear about anymore. He rode the cusp of the wave. He had his moment. He was off center, like Tiny. You know, he 
kind of marched to his own drummer, like Tiny. Mm-hmm. But unlike Tiny Tim, people don't talk about Emo Phillips 30 years later, 35 years later. Right. But we're talking about Tiny Tim all these years later, after he's long gone. And there's a reason for that. It's that it factor. It's, this man created something that people hooked onto, they latched onto. And you got to see that firsthand. Had you seen that with anyone else, then you've handled a lot of people, Stephen. No, I hadn't. Uh, no, not to that degree at all. Okay. Tiny Tim. Now, I remember this. I forget the name of the magazine at the time, but this was back in uh, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, a magazine uh, called Fame. And oh, it sure, listed. Yeah. yeah. It listed. The people of, and they went like this, name value or their picture value. Do you know them? Sure. At one time, Tiny Tim was number one in the world. Yeah. Name value and face recognition. More than the president of the United States. Can you Mm -hmm. believe that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do believe it. More people at that time, at that time, I forget what year it was, but uh, knew the name and face of Tiny Tim more recognizable than anyone else in the world. Can you dig that? Sure. It blew my mind. Well, you know, it's funny because Dan and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. If you took, but we had, we related it to wrestling. If you take a hundred people on the street and ask them who the vice president of the United States is, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that, Better than a half wouldn't be able to tell you Mike Pence. But if you showed them a picture of Jay-Z or Kanye West with no name on it, I'll bet you they could tell you who that person is. Yep. Angelo, you don't know how right you are. And I did that as an experiment one time. I swear to God, I did this. I can't believe you're saying that. I walked into a bar. It was a famous place, too, in New York City. But I wanted to show Tiny, I, I was trying to make a point, right? And I walked in with a picture of the President of the United States and a picture of Tiny Tim. Like an idiot. I just went up and down. Right? Who's this? Yeah. Uh, they knew. Who's this? Oh, that's Tiny Tim. I yeah. watched him married to Miss Vicky on The Tonight Show. Oh, my. More people knew who Tiny Tim, and I actually did this as a stupid-ass experiment just to show Tiny. You know, I was trying to make a... a Look mm-hmm. who you are, buddy, you know, and it yeah. worked, you know, I knew it would. And we talked about that before that he didn't. And Dan and I have had this conversation, in fact, uh, a few times with, with wrestling people not realizing how famous they are. We had there was a guy. I don't know if you know the name, Stephen, but there was a guy named Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Oh, I knew I knew Jimmy Snooker. He was a, a hell of a guy. But Jimmy didn't realize how famous he was. Dan, you want to you want to relate that story? Yeah, it, it comes up a lot in conversation, especially with some of the older wrestlers. And what he's talking about with Jimmy Snuka was he was one of the most he was at, at his peak, one of the biggest draws in the world across all spectrums of entertainment. And even then, 
the, the, the stories we would hear from people that knew him is he would act surprised when people would recognize him at the airport and he would, he just didn't quite understand the fan base. Like, Oh, why does everyone love me? I don't, you know, he didn't get why he was popular or even as big as he was. Yeah. No, I get that, man. And see, tiny was the word guileless. He was guileless. He didn't have any agenda. He didn't know how famous he was. He was just Tiny Tim, this person, a loving, caring guy that just did the old songs from the old crooners, and that was it. You know, if if I can interject for a second, you just said something, you you struck me, you said he didn't have an agenda. Um, Obviously, going back, you know, to the early record days, the 50s and 60s, artists were the, the faces of a lot of things, but the idea of this this social movement of today is a relatively new concept where celebrities actors musicians famous people tend to want to have a platform uh they, they they're doing political ads they're doing these massive campaigns now it's not to say i mean in the 80s you had like band-aid and live aid and you know yeah. stuff like that but but um i'm curious and knowing him as well as you did if if tiny tim was alive today do you think he would have been one of those people that we'd be seeing in all these political ads and, and campaigns and get out the vote and all that, or would he just kind of want to be left alone? Not at all. He wouldn't do that at all. If he were asked, because I remember this in so many uh, interviews, right? And Tony, T- <laughs> it was funny too, guys. Uh, if they would ask his political affiliation or something, he would just smile and he'd go, I'm just a little right of Attila the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> that was his line. But he never projected his political uh, beliefs on anybody, never brought it up unless asked. That was it. He didn't feel that was his place. He just wanted to entertain, man, and sing. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting because somebody asked Elvis Presley that at a press conference. He said, what, you know, the reporter, a female reporter asked Elvis, what is your opinion of war protesters and would you yourself today refused to be drafted. And he said, and I quote, I'd just as soon keep that view and opinion to myself. Uh, and he left it at that. And the woman said, should other entertainers keep their opinions to themselves? And he said, no, I'm just an entertainer. And that's all I do. Some people have that mindset. Their yep. job is to entertain people, not to influence politics, not to you know, today, everybody wants to be an influencer. And That's Angelo, I don't mean to interrupt you, but here's what I hate. I mean, I hate this. Today, mm-hmm. all these entertainers, actors, singers, what have you, right? Right. Want to go on with vote this way. Do this. I hate. I hate. This. You know what? Who the hell cares what you think? We buy your records. We like your artistry. Right. Exactly. And now you think now you think. You're a pro on the political scene. I want to yeah. throw up. I want to throw up. Yeah. My just my view, guys. Go well, ahead, Dan. That's your. <laughs> actually, um, if I can can redirect the course for just a second, you talked about influence. Um, one of <laughs> one of my favorite guilty pleasures is horror movies, and 
uh, recent last few years, there was a, a, a series of horror movies called Insidious, and the very first one ended yeah. the, the cliffhanger of sorts was the ghost dancing to tiptoe through the tulips to kind of the reveal that the ghost had followed the family. I'm curious how you think Tiny Tim would have felt knowing that his music was used as both a re- I mean, obviously everyone knew the song, but also just sure. the nuance of of. I don't want to say, for lack of a better word, it was the creepy factor of no other song, no other voice would have made that scene work. How do you think he would have felt about that? I think he'd have laughed hysterically. And I know exactly what you're talking about, because when it happened, my daughter called me. She goes, Dad, have you watched this movie? She's, get it on, get that thing. (laughs) Tiny's there, blah, 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 you know? And I listened to it, and I thought, Following your question up, what would Tiny think of? I, I just know him. He'd be sitting there in the lounge going, oh, my God, Mr. Plim, what do you think that means? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting, Dan, that you're, you're a horror buff. I am, too. And Stephen Plim knows this. I don't know if Dan Sebastiano does. But Tiny actually did not one but two horror films. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Played the clown. Exactly. Play the yeah. clown. Dan, do you scary, know about this? Scary clown. No. I'll tell you it when we get off the air. Okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Stephen and I'll tell you when, when you get off the air. Yeah. Uh, but suffice it to say, it was <laughs> an interesting performance because he didn't. It wasn't much of a stretch either. <laughs> he I didn't like have to. Interesting. He didn't have to word. act. Let's put it that way. Right. But so, Stephen, you're here to. To spill the beans and shovel the dirt on some people in the business, let's get uh, let's get down and dirty. Let's get some juicy gossip going. Okay, let's, but I I, I got to intervene with one thing for both yes, of you sir. and all and all your listeners, okay? Because sure. I'm so proud of this. Today, my daughter, the baby, I have four daughters and one son, right? Yeah. My baby girl was 17. She applied to Iowa State University today. Good for her. That's awesome. Beautiful. Be I'm going to tell you something. I've seen Stephen's daughters. They are gorgeous. Um, I hope you have loaded ammunition. I mean, uh, loaded weapons and a stockpile of ammunition. I do. And you know what my friends say, Angelo? Not worried about your son, because if he looks like you, he's not in trouble. Right. <laughs> but with the daughters, you, you, know what my, you know what my friends say? What must, friends? Have been, must have been the mailman. <laughs> yeah, right. No, let me tell you something. Your youngest one looks like you, brother. Really? She does. Yes, she does. Absolutely. Of course she does. She looks like her daddy. Well, she's uh, listening. Oops. She's listening tonight, so I don't think she'll like that, but we love you anyway. <laughs> Thanks well, for the accolade. Not to love, first of all, your daughter needs to know that her daddy is a pretty cool guy and has busted his hump his whole life to make a living. And she should be thankful and proud to have a papa like you. Well, thank you very much. So there you go. Now. She's my, ba- she's my baby. Yep. Spill some dirt for me. Dan, extract like a dentist. Get it out of him. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Okay. Um, then if we're going to get into the to the dirt of it, I, you talked about some of the hurdles you've had to deal with, obviously, through the years. And, and Tiny had a lot of them. Is there any any names or anybody you you 
for lack of a better term, any names you want to drop of anybody that, that would in, intentionally tried to hinder his success as he went on? Well, when you bring that up, okay, uh, because I have several people, time will tell, but to talk about tonight on people I've handled and so forth like that. But since you asked that specific question, I didn't have that in my brain of notes, but I'm going to tell you something, okay? Okay. And uh, this is an exclusive because I never told anybody this except off camera to Angelo. All right. Uh, when I was doing the book, Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim, uh, my publisher, right, who, by the way, paid me very well, but we did not get along. We were in the same saddle. OK, yeah, it was a business deal. Right. But he came to me one day. Now, check this out. I'm in the middle of writing the book and I would send him scripts and then editors and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's a complicated thing. I didn't know how complicated it was until I did it. Right. Oh, boy. God, I learned a lot. Anyway, he came to me one day and we had drinks and he says, and he was trying to be kind of sly with a wink of the eye, you know, and he goes, you know, Steve. If there was ever a time, you know, to sell book, if there was ever a time where maybe uh, just maybe you saw Tiny Tim on his knees with Liberace or Johnny Carson. Now, just he says, think back, think back. Do you know how many books that would sell? I looked, I, I couldn't even watch, fucking believe it, that he mm -hmm. said that to me. And I knew he was a dirtbag, but not that. You right. know what I mean? That's, uh... And I looked, I said, and I knew exactly what he meant. I said, what are you trying to say? He says, you know what I'm trying to say. Let's sell books. You want to make more money? Everything's based on book sales, okay? And I'm paying you a lot of money up front. This would sell a lot of books if you could remember, you know, and then the wink of the eye, if sure. you could remember a situation like that. And I looked at him and I said, hey, pal, let me tell you, I'm in the middle of this thing. We can drop it right now. There ain't no way. Yeah. Hey, Jack, there ain't no way. I mean, I can't even believe you're asking me this. OK, it was dropped. Yeah. But that's some of the behind the scenes crap. Yeah. OK. That's never heard of before in this kind of bit, you know, writing a book and a publisher and agent and all that kind of stuff. But he actually wanted me to do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know that story. Um, you know, Dan, you don't understand what he was trying to say here is that, uh, by the way, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, all the people that this publisher was uh, telling Stephen to, you know, uh, add some sugar on or <laughs> to, uh, however you want to. Categorize that they were all dead, so mm. there would be no liable. Who's right. going to sue? Okay, you're hey Angelo, you're exactly right. Th well, yeah, I mean, think about we've actually had that uh, conversation on our show before with wrestling writers. We had a uh, a writer recently, uh, Kenny Casanova, uh, who it, it basically implied the same thing: is basically was who's going to sue? There's there's nobody there to sue if you're relating a story about a person that's deceased. There are two people who know the truth, the deceased individual and the person he told the story to. Yeah. If they're both gone, 
how do you validate the veracity of that story? Exactly. And it happens all the time, you know, by the way, and not that he was an angel, but that Johnny Carson was kind of one of those guys that would do something like that too, by the way. He was a, not a nice person. Well, I met him. I met him twice. Yeah. Okay? And uh, I used to book uh, Doc Severinsen and Eddie Shaughnessy. Yeah, sure. The great Tell drummer. Me. Yeah. Right. And we called him the, you know, Doc Severinsen and the NBC Orchestra. Right. So I got yeah. to know him that way. Uh, but uh, when I put my book out, oh, let me digress. When Carson put his best of Carson tapes out, remember that? Yeah. And it made him millions, right? Sure, absolutely. Okay. How could he put those out without a segment on Tiny Tim? Be impossible, correct? Absolutely. Right. Biggest show ever. So when they, he had a secretary call me and uh, want you to sign off on this, on Tiny Tim, so we can do these tapes. You're the only one that hasn't signed off. I said, well, okay, uh, why hasn't Mr. Carson called me? Well, I do that. I said, no. I want him to call me. Yeah. I want the respect of him to call me. Tiny Tim did the biggest show in tonight's show history, made Carson a lot of money. And if you don't have his okay for these tapes, you're not going to put them out. I said, I hate to hold you up like that, but I just want to call from Mr. Carson. Yeah. Finally, finally I got one because he had to. You know what yeah. I mean? But then watch this. <laughs> Later down the line, uh, I wrote the book. And, uh, and Carson was sick at the time. Now, getting sick, okay? Yeah. And he was on his yacht and stuff like that. He didn't look good, right? But uh, his, uh, I forget his name, but his, uh, his uh, cousin or brother-in-law, something like that, was doing all his affairs. And I called him and I said, uh, you know, I got the Tiny Tim book coming out. I'd really, really appreciate an acknowledgement, an endorsement yeah. from Johnny Carson. Comes back to me, he ain't gonna do it. I said, what do you mean? He just doesn't want to do it. Uh, what's the reason? He just doesn't want to get involved. And here's the guy that I signed off on with Tiny for his multi million dollar tape deal, right? Sure. And he wouldn't endorse my book. Well, I don't like that. And yeah. it's always been in my craw, man. You know, all he had to do is say something, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy you're talking about, Stephen, his name is Freddie de Cordova. No, uh, no, it's not Freddie. I know oh, Freddie. Freddy? No, it's his. It, he, he's a he's a relative. I'm sorry to interrupt, but he's a relative of Carson's, like really close relative that was handling all his business. Freddie de Cordova was the executive producer and all that, and I know him. Mm-hmm. But this was, and I can't. I'm sorry because this just came up. I don't have my brain on. Uh, That's fine. The, the, he was a very close relative of uh, Carson, right? And handling all his affairs at the time. And that's who I went through. And right. he would come back to me and he said, no, Carson, Johnny doesn't want any part of it. He just doesn't want to be involved. And yeah, I was really pissed, I, man. I mean, yeah. I could have used that endorsement. You know what I mean? I thought it was either Freddie de Cordova or uh, Peter LaSalle. No, and I know I'm both, but no. Yeah. I, and right now, I'm sorry. I can't think of the name. That's a good guy, Dan. No, I, I'm listening to the story. That's that's kind of a shame. I'm at the age where, you know, I, I knew the latter years of Johnny Carson. And I remember I was, you know, what, 
I think a teenager, I guess, when when Leno and Letterman started their feud after after Carson stepped down. That was in the early nineties. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, I, I I guess to go off to go back to what you were saying with the 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 the, the story that that's kind of the sad and, and disgusting that somebody would want that. Um, I, I'm curious. There had to have been levels of for lack of a better description, professional jealousy. I mean, I imagine being a musician, maybe you're good looking, you're talented, and you see somebody like Tiny Tim succeeding. Here's this big, goofy, funny sounding guy with a ukulele being the, the the biggest star on television. And, you know, there did you ever run into problems with people who maybe said things they shouldn't have or did things they shouldn't have because of that? Like there was kind of a animosity of sorts? Well, no question. I'll answer your question, but let, let me take it back to this, okay? Just to expound on this, okay? Uh, Tiny Tim, this is a fact, okay, was married to Miss Vicky on The Tonight Show, 45 million viewers, okay? Mm-hmm. The yep. biggest Tonight Show ever. Now, when Carson, after all these years of wonderful performance, and I love Johnny Carson, Jesus, every night, right? Mm-hmm. When he left the show that night, I watched it, right? 33 or 34 million people watched. Tiny broke his, he couldn't break Tiny Tim's record. I think he had to stick up his ass because of that. Tiny had more than he had when he closed. And I would think Carson would say that's an accolade, you know? But Mm -hmm. I think he had, I think he was miffed by that man and he wouldn't endorse my book. Well, that's why I said, Dan, uh, earlier, Johnny Carson. This beloved guy, you know, the king of late night, he was not a nice person. I, I've heard personal insight stories from people that Stephen and I have in common, mutual friends in the business. Uh, some of them will talk actually about some of them off the air. But Johnny Carson was not a nice guy. Think about the people who told him to go F himself. Joan Rivers, Wayne Newton. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dean Martin, who Dean Martin, who was his closest friend, Frank Sinatra, stopped doing the Tonight Show. Remember that Don Rickles was the last guy he had that still did the show from that old crew. Remember that, Stephen? I do, I, and uh, I met Rickles, and uh, I'm trying to think of his manager's name. Uh, anyway, we had conversations. Mm-hmm. I'll think of it in a second. Brain yeah. partner. Uh, but, uh, you know, I only met Carson twice in person. Yeah. So my only real story is what I just said. I acknowledged him and acquiesced and had Tiny Tim sign off sure. on millions of dollars worth of product for him. And he yeah. couldn't give me one blurb, okay, of uh, recommendation on the book. And so from then on, I had a bad taste in my mouth to say. The he least. was a very petty guy, Stephen. He was mm. a very, very petty guy. But so, that's uh, the way it was. So, yeah. So let's talk about. Oh, by the way, um, I want to talk about and you and I talked about it on the phone. I want to discuss it here. Let's talk about uh, those individuals that you've handled that for whatever reason, uh, I'm sure their fault, I no doubt. Uh, but people you've handled that you had to let go for either personal or professional reasons. So let's talk about that. 
Well, thank and you. I know I, there's a couple of them. Well, I can bring uh, one up right away. Uh, Y'all remember Jake LaMotta, the Raging Bull? Yeah. Oh, Jake, yeah. The, the, Hold in it. Case I want to do this. People don't know. Yeah. Can you guys see this? Sure. Okay. This is Jake when he fought. This is Jake today while well, he's dead. And this is De Niro playing his life, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had the privilege and honor of being the personal manager for Jake LaMotta for four years in New York City. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I I'll tell you guys, when I signed him, I was I couldn't wait to get there were no cell phones and I couldn't wait to get the subway and call my dad. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I was so proud. Oh, right? yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And the screeching trains are coming by and I'm on the subway and dad can't hear me. I said, you ain't going to believe this. I'm managing Jake LaMotta, the Raging Bull. Oh, my God. I was so proud. You know, we we do have, uh, Stephen, a kind of a younger audience. So, uh, well, it's becoming a little younger now. Um, because Daniel, <laughs> you know what, boy? <laughs> hey, 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 Dan, yeah. I age myself a lot with years, don't I? Of course. But for those of you who don't know, the... You do yourself a favor and really invest a few hours in a film called Raging Bull. Yeah, it's a boxing film. If you love boxing, you're going to love this movie. It's a film starring Robert De Niro, a very young Robert De Niro. De Niro won the Academy Award that year for Best Actor. Yes, playing a real life character. And this guy was a character named Jake LaMotta. He was an interesting guy in a lot of different ways. I actually got to, you know, to investigate a little bit early on, way early on, years and years ago, while the movie was still out, who Jake LaMotta really was. And he was a groundbreaker in many areas, but he was the, in some ways, Stephen, you know this to be true, he was the quintessential broken (laughs) boxer who drank too much, who ate too much. (laughs) <laughs> who partied way too much. Yeah. So tell our young squire, Dan, about your experiences with Jake LaMotta. Love to. I'll tell you, Dan, the man and all your uh, viewers. I met, I was in uh, New York City at Foxfire Talent with Barbara Moore as we talked. Uh, Angela knows, right? Yeah. I was the executive vice president there. We handled a lot of stars. Anyway, long story short, one day, we were on 54th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue, right? Right in the heart of it all. It was just a wonderful time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a gal comes in and wants to meet me. And I sat down with her. She was Jake's, Jake LaMotta's daughter, adopted daughter, okay? Mm-hmm. But she had an agenda. This was wonderful. I didn't know she was Jake's daughter, right? She comes in. And I'm a singer, and I do this, and I do this. I want you to audition me. You know, and we had, you know how many people we had like that a week? Oh, my God, dozens, right? Oh, my God, you know? And as I'm talking to her, she goes, she could see my disinterest. She was that hip, right? And she goes, do you know who my father is? I said, no. Jake LaMotta, the Raging Bull. Well, did that get my attention? I said, (laughs) I said, what? She says, yeah. And he doesn't have a management agency anymore. And he's looking. She was leveraging herself. Right. Follow me. She was absolutely. She was a hip New Yorker. Right. And she says, I want an audition. And if I get an audition, 
I'll bring my father to you to have lunch. Absolutely. It took me a nanosecond to go, you're on, deal. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's good leverage, though, Stephen. And, and let me tell you, I kept my word. I gave her an audition. Terrible singer. Bah, 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 bah. But she, <laughs> but she introduced me to her dad, and that was then on we went, man. Jake was a great cat. We became great friends. I was the manager for four years, and I have so many stories about Jake LaMotta. I was so proud. You know, he's history, man. Middleweight yeah. champion of the world. And we'll talk more about Jake tonight as well, but I want to follow up on something that, that Dan uh, got out of you here. Uh, let's talk about that. You're talking about Jake's daughter leveraging herself, you know, for her gain. You, you take care of me. I'll get you. I'll get you, Papa. Yep. Right. Have you had other individuals that were either connected to famous people or related to famous people who said, you take care of me, I'll get you my famous whatever. Well, in the booking type industry, yes. Okay. And it was like inferred but not actually said sure but then in a lower level you know just when you're doing back in the day when i was doing like uh uh shows and lounges and all over the country like that and you wanted this one somebody would come to you and i'll do this favor for you and some of it i can't even say on the air well actually you can because i'm going to issue a disclaimer now <laughs> uh at this point uh, it would be advisable if you're under the age of 18 to maybe uh, recuse yourself from the rest of the show because we're going to engage in adult conversation. All so right. I want to get into it. So now, Stephen, let's get there. Take me there. Okay, I'll give you one tidbit because I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, buddy. But, okay, <laughs> you know who Rod Stewart is, of course. Of course, of course. yes. All right. Do you remember... Kelly Emberg, the Noxzema cover girl model in the 80s. Oh, sure. Giant fucking star, right? Absolutely, yeah. Right, right. Okay. So Kelly comes to us. She's beautiful, of course. By the She's way, big. her name was Anita Ekberg. <laughs> no, no. That was, the, Kelly Emberg. Oh. This is in the 80s. Oh, okay. This is like, uh, I'll tell you. The, okay, there was 85. another one? Oh, wow. Hey, well, he had a million of them. I know, right? And they're all blondes and they're all beautiful, right? Absolutely. And they all I asked I asked Rod Stewart one time, how come you've been married so many times? He said, Well, I'm not afraid of commitment. <laughs> Apparently not. No, her name was Kelly Amberg, and if you look it up, I know it's yeah. been years ago, but she was the Noxema girl, cover girl, made millions. Yeah, I know who you're talking. I yeah. thought you were, were talking about Anita Eckberg. She, I, I tell yeah. you what's funny though, because Rod Stewart married like these different women who all look like the same person. Exactly. They all look, yeah, they all look like. Exactly. They looked like they were like twin sisters of the other person. Interesting. So yep. let's get let's get dirty here. Let's get dirty. Has any woman, young girl, young lady, come up to you and said, "Mr. Plim, I just want to be a star so bad, I'll do wink, wink, anything you want me to, winky, winky." Angelo. You know, it's a rhetorical question. It's happened so many times, I can't even tell you, okay? Well, and, the best ones. <laughs> well, Kelly, right? She used to come, and by the way, she was 
Rod's fiance, right? Yeah. And uh, she was beautiful. She used to come. We see we booked. She was a terrible singer. She couldn't sing for shit. Yeah. Okay. But she was Rod Stewart's girlfriend. Sure. That was our marketing ploy with her. Okay. Yeah. And Rod Stewart hated that. He didn't want her to sing at all. He thought she sucked. You know, Rod Stewart and I used to sit next to each other watching her eating chicken wings. We loved to eat chicken wings together. You know, and he used to sit there and go like this. Oh, God. Oh, God. You know, yeah. it all ended. But I mean, she used to come and I was on 54th Street, you know, late for a gig. And I'm and she she changed right in front of me. You know, I mean, everything. I said, Incredible. everything. <laughs> OK, I could barely get in the cab to go to the gig. You know what I'm saying? There were innuendos and things said, and uh, that's about all I could say to her. Anyway, her mom, uh, they're from Texas, uh, Kelly Amber, it, her mom came up, and I met with her mom, and I'll tell you, what a beautiful woman, so nice, and she, used, and she sat with me, and she said, and she's never been in show business or anything like that, you know, and she said, I just hope this doesn't go south. Is he just, she would ask me, is he just using her for sex or this or because she's making a lot of money with Noxema? And I sat there, man, you guys, I didn't know what to say. I knew, but man, you put your, that's her mom, right? Yeah, you say yes. <laughs> and what's wrong with that? In essence, I kind of did without saying it. Okay, because I was so, Dan her mom was so nice, her, you know. Dan, the man will tell you, being the smartest guy in the room and fairly knowledgeable about money, it's called trickle-down economics. It goes from the daughter to the mama, and that's how that works, and everybody's happy. But See, people are afraid to tell the dirt. I want the dirt. I want the dirt. Go ahead, well, Dan. Speaking of, of dirt, uh a previous question I asked you on one of the, your previous appearances, we had talked about the the criticism that your book got from people claiming to know Tiny and, and questioning the oh, validity yeah. of the story. Yeah, and, I, and, and you know what, Angela? Or, excuse me, Dan the Man? Of course. I remember that question, and you didn't have time or whatever. You didn't follow up on it. I remember that. Right, yeah. and that's I was kind of hoping to do that. Um, that's great. And, since we're talking about dirt, one of the other big focus points it was the the – nature of some of the stories you told your your book had a lot it was very sexualized there was a lot of of the of dirt for lack of a better term but it never came from a place of of criticism it was clearly a friend telling stories and 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 having a laugh and whatnot i'm curious if you could expand on that to kind of address that criticism as well as continue with the story of of telling you know uh, of the dirt is why some of the stories you chose versus some of the stories you've told us on the show that didn't make the book. Like what mindset did you go into saying, look, I want to tell the, uh, you know, the, the women and, and the sex and I, you know, why, why kind of the more dirty side and not the more family friendly stories? Well, I wasn't with his family when he was growing up, my story. And I want to really make this clear. And I, I thought I tried to before. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I've done it in a million interviews that I've done. I wasn't with Tiny Tim day to day for 12 years. I was his friend. Uh, we talked on the phone all the time. I would hire him. I would hire him for my shows. 
Then more and more we became friends and then I was his manager, okay? In the book, in the book, okay, Tiny T had a big dichotomy, man, between his religious fervor yeah. and sexual appetite. Right. I tried to balance that in the book and be truthful, okay? Mm. Uh, the people that have criticized, any, you know, anybody writes a book, you're going to get critics, and then you're going to get people to like it, blah, blah, blah. I can tell you this. I have 20 million times more people that love the book than right. the few than the few that say this and this, and you must not have known him. He wouldn't have done this. Well, I want to tell them that you're entitled to your opinion. Go write your own book. Exactly. Well, you go write it, the book. I was there. You you have a snippet of a opinion, then go write your book, sweetheart. Well, but I you was there. you also I have was there twenty four seven. I'm telling the truth about me and Tiny Tim for the five years that I managed him, not his life, not his yeah. life. That's why it's called Tiny Tim and Mister Plim Life as we knew it. For those five years, I was there. I told the exact truth. Okay. And I didn't try to dwell on sex, but I had to bring those things up because they happened. Right. Right. Sure. Most of my books about Tiny Tim, I mean, most of my state are not sexual, but they are there. I told about the guy and me on the airplane, backstage, dealing with agents, you know. So, and I've seen Dan the man all, believe me, I saw the different people that go and knock me on what I'm saying. Okay, fine. They're entitled to their opinion. But I just say to them, go write your book. Right. If you know it all and you met him for 10 minutes, go write a book. For 10 minutes. Go ahead, Dan. Well, then then let me uh, let me continue as we as we were going on with Dish and Dirt. You've had a lot of clients and a lot of friends through the years. What what was it about Tiny Tim that brought the book out? And, and could you write a similar narrative of any any of your other clients, or was he just such a unique case? Uh, to answer your question, no, I could not write a book, a book, a whole book about anybody else. Now I have people that I've handled and been with, uh, like Jake Lamata, uh, Smoker Joe Frazier, and people like that. Okay that I can tell stories about the, you know, our interaction together, but never a book. Tiny Tim and I knew each other, watch, very important. We knew each other for five years, talk on the phone, meet, dinners, birthday parties, Christmas. Um, I'd hire him for all my shows that I could, right? And then the last five years, I was his manager. Okay. Right. I could never do that with anybody else. Do I have great stories? Stories about yeah. Jake LaMotta, Joe Frazier, and some other people? Yes, great stories, but never a book. Tiny. Well, I think it's I fair to say, Stephen, <laughs> that you could probably write a book on your cumulative experience uh, of all the individuals that you've handled, you know, pulling out, you know, uh, anecdotes and, uh, and maybe little snippets of stories from individual people, but Tiny Tim is that rare individual who has to have his own book. Yep. He's just too unique not to. Let's talk about um, LaMotta for a little bit. You okay. did a lot of work 
uh, people don't notice. In, in addition to entertainment, you've done a lot of work that crossed entertainment and sport. Um, to use the term that Dan and I are familiar with, sport entertainment. Um, talk to me about how you used to fuse entertainment with sports teams. Let's oh, let's talk you. about yeah. that dynamic. Yep. Okay. Um, one time in Los Angeles when I was there, I saw a promoter invited me to a show, and there were all these NFL players, okay, playing baseball, okay, against police officers as a fundraiser. Man, I thought that was a great deal. And when I went back home, I expanded on it only in a very, very professional way because they did a shipshod shit, okay? I did for uh, 10 years, okay? The Chicago Bears, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, Dallas Cowboys a lot, right? And I developed relationships with them as fundraisers, sports shows, okay, but fundraisers, and I would put them together, like, let's say Dallas Cowboys, and I'd go to a city, and I'd sign up the police department. You want to make money? Yes. Okay. They all need money. Here's how we do it. And I would put together specialty sports shows, family-oriented, right? But I did it in a big production way, right, where the football players would be playing basketball, right, against these stars and, you know, all over the, and it was so successful. Then we ran with it for 10 years. Right? And then we would handle, we would hire, you know, like Jerry Mathers, the beaver, who later I was in tiny, I'd always have tiny there and Joe Frazier. And there were big extravaganzas because it was the unique thing. Football players playing basketball against the cops, right? The whole, the whole public loved it. And we made money. Of course I made money. I'm a promoter. But we made money for the police association. Everybody got paid. Everybody was happy. We had big bands at halftime. It wasn't just a shipshod thing. I mean, it was very well produced, sure. and I loved it. I did that for 10 years. Now, could, could a format like that parlay today? Do you think that, the, that you still have the magic touch? Do you, uh, could you still do that, given today's uh, environment? If it was, I'd be doing it. Yeah. And yeah, what changed between then and now? Okay. Why are the dynamics different? Okay. But I was doing this back in the 80s and early 90s till like 94, right? Okay. Social media wasn't there. Um, it, it would be, it would work today because they can see so many things. It's, when I did it, it was such a novelty. True. You know, you want to see the Chicago Bears in person playing against your police officers? And here's the uh, guest host, Tiny Tim or Jerry Mathers or whatever. That was a big deal. Yeah. Today, it wouldn't be a big deal at all. It, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Did social media make the world smaller in that regard, Stephen? Well, in my business, are, are celebrities too accessible? Dan, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point. I, the 
with with the advent of Twitter and other, especially tw- like things like Twitter and Instagram, where celebrities can post their thoughts and pictures, and many of yeah. them respond directly to fans. the The idea of going to see somebody live, you know, especially as as Stephen was talking about, you know, seeing you know the the eighty five Bears or Refrigerator Perry, somebody like that, outside yeah. of playing football, you know. I, I, I it's, that doesn't mean as much today when he's got millions of followers on Twitter and I'm I'm he's he just told me what he had for lunch. Yeah, you know, it's going. You're see. you're exactly right. It would they're not interested in that. They have so many things to go to and so many. I did a thing like going back, Angelo, to what you said about an hour ago. Right? It's the it factor on that. I hit a thing that was novel. Nobody'd ever done it. You know, yeah. nationwide. It just worked. Today, it wouldn't work at all. They can see anybody go anywhere. There's so many things to see and go to concerts, blah, blah, blah. It's not a big deal to see the Chicago Bears that used to play, right? You know, yeah. it just wouldn't work. Do you think I wish it would? Yeah, I'm right. Now, Stephen, are you available for personal appearances and fan festivals? In wrestling, Dan and I can tell you that there are a number of... Uh, conventions for what they call fan conventions or uh wrestle fest or wrestle con you know events like that um that draw the athlete and the fan together where they can meet and interact and get autographs and pictures have you ever done anything like that with your uh, celebrity crew i love the question you know why look that's what i've been doing uh basically for the last three years until this coronavirus came in, you know, I sold myself. I was my own agent, right? I do festivals, fairs, casinos. I'm an MC. I come up, do some jokes, tell stories about showbiz, introduce the act. That's what I've been doing for the last three years. Basic, right? This coronavirus. I had to cancel so many engagements because you can't go. They're not there. Yeah. Oh, Dan and I know we both had to cancel wrestling gigs. Yep. I had to cancel all my gigs, you know. And by the way, Dan the Man, I had to give back deposits. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's that sucks because you you when people hire you, they do so in escrow. You put the money in the escrow and you can't right. touch it. Right. God forbid that the event gets canceled or something happens and you have to give your you know your your down payment back. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I have had to do, <laughs> and it sucks, especially when you you already got that money spent in your head. Exactly, ahead, you know, I've been rolling on that man, and I love it. Uh, I go to festivals, uh, state fairs, you know, and I introduce acts and I tell my story, and you know, all the shit. It's just a wonderful thing, right? But when this what, like January, February, everything's down, you know. And now yeah. it's in, when's it going to end? I don't know. Couple more years. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah, probably. Well, if, if, if the, uh, if some of the guests, some of the Angelo's friends and guests are to be believed uh, the day after. Probably. Say, th- say that again, Dan. I, I said, if some of the, uh, uh, Angelo's friends and guests we've had are to be believed coronavirus will go away the day after the election. What well, he's trying to say is that my conspiratorial-minded uh, kooks, <laughs> basically that's what we are. We're a bunch of conspiracy nuts, <laughs> But 
Yeah, uh, we we had this theory that once the election occurs, it's either going to go away or get worse, depending on who's elected. Can I give you my take on that? Yes, please do. I'm a Republican, diehard Republican. So am I. I love Trump. I don't love everything Trump does. Of course. But he wasn't elected for that. He was elected to get things done. Sure. And he has. He's made America great again, I believe. Now, my, my thing goes, whoever, in my opinion, gets elected, there's going to be, man, war in the streets. Oh, yeah. Think of each side. Think of each side. Biden, okay, with his Black Lives Matter and all those idiots burning down buildings, killing people, that will elevate like you've never seen. Yeah. Okay. If 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 Trump loses, how do I put that? If Biden Trump his die hard on the side that I don't like, war in the streets, man. Buy a gun. Yeah. Buy a gun. Jeez. It ain't gonna be pretty, in my opinion. Yeah, well, no and I wins, think no matter who wins. Yeah, and I think that's the the underlying uh, truth to all of it. It no matter what happens, you know, you're you're fucked coming and you're fucked going. Thank you very so, much. Unless you've read the end of the book first and you realize that the good guys win. I always tell people that. I'm not worried. I don't care who wins. Honestly, I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. I know I read the end of the book and the good guys win. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, um, <laughs> little, little, little side side detour there. Uh, getting back to to the thought at hand, you were talking about conventions and appearances and whatnot. I'm curious as a as a frequent convention goer myself, both on the wrestling side, the sports entertainment side, and I've I've done a lot of liaison work for celebrities here because of the the geek and comic book nerd fan, whatever you want to call them, conventions. Yeah. What I'm curious, what conventions? Would 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 a, a one of the star attractions be? Uh, I mean, is is there is it music? Uh, I, I I what kind of conventions do do you do you book appearances for? Well, it's a myriad of things. Uh, I've been invited. I've done okay. I've done colleges. I've done casinos where they have entertainment acts mm-hmm. and they need somebody with experience uh, and a voice and a personality to go up and MC the thing and make some jokes before, right? Right. And tell and tell show business stories. Then I've had Fortune 500 companies that want somebody at the dais to it, that's their thing at that time. Tell us about the entertainment business. We don't know about it. Okay. Yes, Stephen. I think colleges. Yes, Stephen. I think what Dan is actually getting to, and you know, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think what Dan is is getting to is with regard to. Booking entertainment conventions, for example, where you're booking, uh, um, uh, you're you're not booking yourself. Like if you're booking, let's say, Lydia Cornell, for example, who, by the way, will be a guest on the show. And or she's a great booking, friend and I love her and I, I thank you for having her on. <laughs> you're quite welcome. She's coming on shortly. Um, but you are, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll share a conversation Steve and I had. Because we both worked in the convention business. Uh, I, um, I worked, uh, put together a, a part, I put the uh, 
the television and radio aspect together of a of the convention we did in Atlantic City. I was um, uh, invited by Richard Black, and his company was called Black Marketing. And there were, of course, our mutual friend Jerry Mathers, the Beaver, uh, our friend Adam West, Bert yep. Ward. Um, I can't uh, oh believe God, you just uh, said Adam West. Oh, oh my God, please. <laughs> Dawn you- Wells. You know, I'm talking about Dawn Wells, Bob Denver, of course, you know, yep. Gilligan, um, Butch Patrick, of course, you know, Eddie Munster. Yep. And you and I both talked about this. The original Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore. Oh, who wow. We both, you know, got to, to uh, know a little bit. And, no, I, I, had know, Clay- I had on Clayton for quite a while. Yeah, and then had to deal with his wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> you have no idea, pal. Well, I think that's what, what Dan is getting at. What, what goes into when you're representing other people and they say, well, we want we, we we've gotten this uh, this idea. Dan, we've got this convention we're we're right. putting in. Dan and I are putting a convention together. OK, we're going to have uh, wrestling people. We're going to have people from mainstream entertainment, um, you know. I'll get the wrestlers. I'll get the whoever's current and available. Uh, let's see who's available from television, Dan. Call Stephen Plim. Who could we get? Uh, we could get uh, uh, Adam West. We could get Batman. Uh, get Robin. Um, uh, Marty <laughs> Nodell, the guy that, that created the uh, Incredible Hulk and the Green Lantern. Um, Dawn Wells and Bob Denver. Uh, Jerry Mathers. Butch Patrick, um, oh, yeah, who, uh, Clayton Moore, you know, all of these, these, uh, you know, celebrities, right. Or in some cases, quasi celebrities because their fame may be largely past their prime. Yeah, yeah. Be, I know be a, you're so right. And I have, I have so many, probably three of what you just named. I have stories on. Okay. Well, let's hear them. <laughs> well, like, okay. Jerry Mathers. Yep. One trick horse. Ah. Right. I handled Jerry. I wasn't his manager. I was his yeah. agent. Okay. Uh, you know what is uh, in college uh, philosophy, right? Yeah. So full of shit. I mean, sure. Completely full of shit. Uh, lazy, lazy. Yeah. He only had one thing. Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, when I met Jerry, he was uh, beyond drunk. He may have been stoned and drunk. He <laughs> couldn't keep his eyes focused. He was uh, arrogant and nasty. And I'll just tell it straight up. I don't like him. I didn't then. and I don't now. I don't know if he's still around. If he is. He's still around. And if he's and if he's not, then then rest in peace if you're gone. No, he's still around. But I, I, used, to book, I used to book Jerry. On yeah. shows, on all my shows, okay, and uh, just a phony baloney. Yeah. Now the on the other hand, Adam West, who by the way was also inebriated when I spoke to him. <laughs> um, Imagine he, that. <laughs> he was a uh, yeah, no right. Imagine Adam was always drunk. Okay, so let's just put it out there. Adam West was always drunk. 
he liked his alcohol. And he always had to fly first class. And I'll let Stephen tell you about that. Oh, my God. Thank you for. You know what? I only <laughs> I only had one experience. Yeah. Never met him in my life. How hip are you to remember that? Uh, I only had one experience with Adam West. And I forget how the scenario went. But uh, some cat in Vegas. And he's. Do you want to handle Adam West? Uh, yeah. Long story short, I was home two times with Adam West to do one of my celebrity sports shows. Yeah. All he could talk about is this. Watch. Not money. Not money. Are you going to fire? Fly me first class. I said, what? Of course. No, you have to guarantee me. I want. I have to be first. His ego was so fucking huge. Right. And I, I'll pay you the 5000 You show up. No, I have. You gotta send me a wire right now that I'm first class. I can't be in coach. I'm Batman. <laughs> I did uh, an interview. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I did an interview where I interviewed on one show: Dawn Wells, Bob Denver, uh, Burt Ward, Adam West, yeah, Butch Patrick, Jerry Mathers, uh, Clayton Moore. And, um, oh God, who the hell am I missing? And one more. There was my super show. Okay. <laughs> I will tell you that when that red light went on, it didn't matter how much alcohol any of those individuals consumed. When the red light went on, they became pro. They were professional when the red, as soon as the red light went off, they went back to being falling down sloshy drunks. You're damn right. I've, but I've seen it. Adam West, on the other hand, was a likable drunk, but and still pissed off that they didn't call him to star in the Batman film with Michael Keaton. He thought okay. he could still put it down, you know? His ego, okay. Adam I'm not West's even making ego. that up. I'm no, not I know. Even His ego walked into the room before. Five minutes before he got there. Yeah, dude, we got and Dan and I know a lot of wrestlers that do that. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Daniel. Go for it. <laughs> oh, oh shit. wow. Okay. Um <laughs> and no, it, it's funny to, to get these side stories. I'm curious then, while we're on uh it, we've talked about it before. It's come up on the show, the way people act in, in all your years. I'm curious to name drop here. Who is the biggest ego you've ever encountered? Wow. There are so many <laughs> biggest ego, man. I got to think about that for a minute because look, all these entertainers have giant egos. Okay. That's what keeps them going. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, the dichotomy is once they make it, see, they, they work all their life to make it and they're scared mm -hmm. all the time uh, about not working, but they're even more scared when they do make it and make big money of losing it. Exactly. Because they all over, once they make it, they all overspend. Okay. They don't mm -hmm. take care of the business and, oh, I got to have work. I, they're making, you know, maybe millions of dollars, but they outspend their shit okay yeah and right how am i going to pay taxes how am i going to pay for the pool pay for the uh, limos right so it's yeah. a never ending battle 
Well, Stephen, and- I'll tell you what, just to validate that story you're telling, not two nights ago, not two nights ago, Dan and I had this conversation on a show with the actor Jim Fife. We were talking about, he did a film with an actor that you remember named Richard Grieco. Yeah. Okay. Richard Grieco in the last couple of years was been found sleeping in dumpsters and Salvation Army donation bins and things like that. Uh, taken in by strays, you know, sleeping on their couch or whatever. A guy like that who was so good looking, so handsome, yeah. had who had the pick of the litter, who had a boatload of money. Yes. Okay. Now he's sleeping. He's sleeping in a Salvation Army donation bin. What's wrong with this picture, Stephen? Well, man, I can. Okay. Listen, let me give you the analogy. There are many, but I can come up with like right now. Okay. Go for it. Sure. Okay. I'm talking to both of you, right? Mm-hmm. Who sang? Tell Laura I love her, the wonder of you, and Karina Karina. Do either of you know? Most people. El Frank Baum, Elvis Presley, and who who did Karina? Hold on. I'll tell you in a second. Um, Damn. Um, Tell Laura I love her. Tell Laura I need her. Yep. Ray Peterson. Yeah. Ray Peterson. Thank you. Right. He had three. Yeah, he had three giant hits. Tell Laura I Love Her was the first one. Uh, Karina, Karina. That was the other. Go ahead. And then The Wonder of You. Yeah. Okay. I handled uh, Ray for like three years, right? One of the greatest, purest voices I've ever heard in my effing life. Yeah. Okay. And when he was on top, you know, just making tons of money, playing giant venues, right? You know, when I met him, in a bar, <laughs> barely could get arrested, right? Yeah. You know? But all these hits, right? And the purest voice. I'm telling you, I think Ray Peterson's voice. If you go back, you guys, and listen to it, the yeah. purest voice I've ever heard in my life. And what a great cat! And I handled him for three, maybe four years, right? And the stories I have with him are unbelievable. All the way to the top, and then felt. All the way to the bottom. And what happened there? Well, I can't opine on that. I'm just saying. I don't know what business deal. But anyway, I met him when he was down on his luck. Right? But had all these hits. And I guess I'm saying the same thing to you. You know? Yeah. And uh, he was a southern gentleman, man. A southern gentleman. And he had, uh, uh, when he was a kid, he had polio. He had to walk with a cane. He didn't call it a cane, a walking stick, right? Yeah. And this cat was so classy. Every night, White Tux came up with his walking cane and mesmerized people. He was making 30, 40 grand a week. You know what I was getting him? Four fucking grand a week, 4,000 a week with a three-piece band. And he loved it because he was down on his luck. Had nothing. Yeah. Is he still, is he still around? Is he still with us? No, he's dead. Okay. Then he turned into a minister, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, whatever that means. But I'll tell you a story. When he was, uh, I had him here in Des Moines, Iowa with me. And uh, he says, I need a new pair of white boots, Stephen. 
you know, for my show. I said, okay, I'll take you to the best place. Got in the car, went there. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to how sad this is. Uh, the, you know, the little girl here making $8 an hour is trying boots on for him, right? And no, this was not right. And he goes, do you know who I am? And she said, you know, she's like 18 or 19. No. <laughs> and he goes, I'm Ray Peterson. And she looks up and goes, so? Okay, what? See how sad that is? Yeah. He still thinks he's living. Dig it, man. In yeah. his era I mean, of being known. And I felt I could have cried right there. Yeah. Well, you know what? We've, we've had people on the show like that. Uh, recently, too, in fact. Um, it's sad. It's a sad case. You know, you cannot recapture your old glory. Yeah. But you have to try to make the best, uh, of a, of whatever situation, bad situation is normally how it ends up working out, but you got to try to make the best of a bad situation and, uh, uh, either live in your past or uh, become a victim of it. No, I'm, I, I agree with you, but I'm just saying. That yeah no it's it's a sad state of affairs. I when, almost wanted to cry. I was so embarrassed for him because he yeah. he still thinks say he's a big star, and here's some eighteen year old girl trying on shoes for him. Yeah, she I'll, wasn't I'll even born. Had, she wasn't even born. <laughs> you know, and and mm-hmm. I had an experience like that, Stephen, in Atlantic City with Jackie Vernon. You know Jackie Vernon. And, no, I'm trying uh, to think of the name. Okay. Yeah, and if you don't, then you certainly know his voice from Frosty the Snowman. Oh, okay, okay. That's Jackie Vernon. Jackie Vernon was a big, big star and appeared regularly on the Hollywood Palace and the Merv Griffin Show and, yeah. and all the talk shows. And, uh, and I saw him in Atlantic City getting five bucks a show to do a stand-up comedy routine that lasted way, way longer than it should have. Um, he had enough material for about 20 minutes, but tried to prolong that 20 minutes into an hour and a half set. And it unfortunately fell flat. And again, the, the, the inference being enjoy your fame while you have it, because you're not going to have it forever. That's right. Uh, the only thing that's forever is is television and YouTube, <laughs> you know. But we, oh my God, we can we can go so many places right now. But the only place we need to go is to Dan the Man for a word from our sponsor. Thank you. Yes, sir. You know we talked about uh, the highs and lows of life and and the highs and lows of of everything. And there is nothing worse or nothing lower than uh, feeling unkempt and feeling a little off. And you can fix that with our friends at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com is the leading producer and supplier of man trimming products. Their current package, the lawnmower 3.0 is a shaver. It's the greatest one out there. I use it. I vouch for it. It it comes in a combo package with a deodorant, a revitalizing spray, which is also great leather handbag you can use promo code wrestling future that's promo code wrestling future for 20 percent off manscaped.com and wrestling future your balls will thank you <laughs> so will we absolutely thanks dan well, man it has been another interesting week with steven plim steven i um i will bid you adieu this evening don't go anywhere there because i want to talk to you uh, after we get off the air 
So uh, thank you for joining us. I'm sure you will be back. I have no doubt you will be back. I know there's more stories. We barely touched the Jake LaMotta stuff. We, there's, there's so much to, to discuss with you. Tons of And uh, <laughs> so if you want to if you want to plug yourself, uh, was it StephenMPlim.com? So tell everybody where they can find you. Well, I'd like to do this at a plug, okay? Self-fulfilling, right? StephenMPlim.com. You want your Tiny Tim and Mr. Tim t-shirts for Christmas? Great gift. Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim t-shirts. Go to stephenmplim.com. stephenmplim.com. We'll get in there in uh, a couple weeks. And another plug I want to go, okay, is for my partner who I love, great cat, Jacob Ashelman. And I know he's going to be a guest uh, with you guys uh, in the upcoming weeks. A and, couple uh, of weeks, yep. Yep, and he can't wait. And he's a great cat, and thank you for having him. Oh, you kidding? He's a, he's an amazing guy. Were it not for Jacob, I would not have this amazing, fabulous video setup that I have now with a working Skype and a video editor built in and all this high-tech stuff that cost me an arm and a leg. <laughs> <laughs> but it was well worth it. On behalf of Stephen Plim, on behalf of Dan the Man, I'm Angelo DeCipio. Till next time, happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you there.